Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration.
right, everybody, welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live. Well, tonight I do the show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. That's on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. If you're checking out the podcast, do follow us on Twitch because we have all kinds of shenanigans, usually seven days a week. Uh, the councilman, my co-host, is uh, out on adventures, so he won't be joining me tonight. Um, Down Ballot came out of the Sunday show. For a while, we were doing some local news on the uh, right at the beginning of the podcast for the Sunday show, and then it started taking over half an hour of time. We're like, hey, we could do a local news show. So that's what, what Down Ballot, that's how Down Ballot became a thing. Uh, the Wednesday show, uh, Intellectual Dollar Tree also came out of the Sunday show because the gals that joined us frequently were like, no more Jordan Peterson. So we gave him his own show, uh, Intellectual Dollar Tree. We're creeping up on episode 100 for this. I don't think we're quite at 90 yet. But I think we're we're creeping up on episode 100 for this show. The show's been around for a while, but we were doing it every month. Sometimes we'd skip a month. So, like, uh, yeah, getting 100 of these in is actually pretty pretty big fucking deal for us. So our first segment for Down Ballot this week is leading off, as it always is. Um, I built this docket myself, so fucking you can't blame the councilman if the docket's garbage. This, this one, it's going to be all me, all my fault. Our first story is uh, families reunited and tourism has uh, kicked up a little bit here in the Bay Area as the United States lifts the international travel ban due to COVID-19. I'm not sure this is a good idea or not. We'll have to see, right? (laughs) Like loosening up the restrictions last time just got us another surge of COVID. So we'll just have to fucking wait and see what happens. Um, Hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. Well, it is a big day for San Francisco's tourism industry. Starting today, travelers from as many as 30 different countries are now able to resume traveling to the U.S. Those countries include Mexico, Canada, and India. So what does that mean for our local airports and our tourism industry? NBC Bay Area reporter Sierra Johnson joins us from SFO to talk about what we can expect as travel resumes. Good morning, Sierra. Good morning, Chris. Yeah, it's really been a long time coming, nearly a month and a half since that pandemic ban was put into place. And yes, as you mentioned, specific countries, nearly 30 of them, including Mexico and India, they are now allowed to come back to the United States via air travel. Now, we've been out here for basically the whole day. We were here when that first flight came in and you can see there were some reunions. There was a lot of excited faces. It doesn't look exciting to me. It just looks like the airport. They actually were here so early. They beat God, I hate the airport by six o'clock they were able to proceed and uh, come through the airport now the lifting of some of these restrictions comes as the u.s has seen its covid 19 outlook drastically improve in the recent reads uh, specifically that summer delta surge has calmed down although u.s citizens and permanent residents were always allowed to enter the u.s starting today many experts believe we will see an increase in international flights because that pandemic ban has been lifted sfo was also ramping back up to about 70 75% of pre-pandemic level for international leave it at 75% increasing from 28 to 33 carriers. So, it is important to note that there are some new rules for anyone who wants to visit the US from those countries. They'll have to show that proof of vaccination. Uh, the children under 18 and those from certain countries with low vaccine availability, they'll be exempt from that rule. Foreign travelers will also have to show proof of a negative COVID test taken within 3 days of their departure. So, when we were here this morning one traveler we spoke with um, said this is really a long time coming after his mother and his sister's flight from india to sfo were 
pushed back several times. He went to see them only to learn that his return date was around the time the ban would be lifted. So this morning they returned to the states together. Take a listen. It's, it just opens things up, right? I mean, we, we were doing FaceTime, we were doing chats, we were doing phone calls, but it was just that I can't see them. And I'm used to seeing them at least once a year. And this morning, um, as they welcomed, as those first guests rather came into the airport, they were welcomed by a group of ambassadors. And although about 50 ambassadors welcoming those international travelers, they're part of a multi-million dollar plan to help uh, re-energize the tourism business. As we all know, huge business. How do I get that job? Wait a minute. So they're gonna I want that job where I just hang out at the airport and wait for people to come in and be like, yeah, fuck yeah, America, go do a tourism. What a great job that would be. Them into the city, answer any questions, and really just uh, work on that return rate back to the city. So back out here live, airport is bustling, especially with those international flights returning. Something interesting of note, when that first flight did come in, they were given a COVID test as well as a take-home COVID test. Um, oh. Just in case anyone on that flight did contract COVID, they were able to test at home and would be notified uh, just so they'd be able to isolate themselves once they were here. So a lot going on. Some positive news for those families who have been delaying their international travel. Hey, We're yeah. live here at SFO Sierra Johnson for NBC Bay Area News. That's cool, I guess. I mean, whatever. I want that job as like the person that, that goes to the airport, though, and just like welcomes people to the airport. It'd be a little bit tough because you're like, hey, you know where you are? You're at the airport. Aren't you glad to be here? They'd be like, well, no, it's the airport. And you'd be like, I'm right there with you. I don't like the airport either. You commiserate a little bit over your dislike of the airport. How do you get that job? They're spending millions of dollars on that. I want, I want a couple hundred grand of that. Don't you? Wouldn't you like to go hang out at the airport and welcome people to the United States? I know, I know, I know. We haven't been the best country lately, but, you know, if you can get the money, you can get the money. So one of the things we've been covering a lot of is, like, <clears throat> police and, like, municipal workers across the country claiming they're going to quit their jobs, or maybe a lot of other people claiming that those city or municipal, city municipal workers are going to quit their jobs over the COVID vaccine. Well, the <laughs> the hammer came down here in San Jose and the number of city employees, including police who quit or were fired for not getting the vaccine was six. <laughs> so that shit was a big nothing burger over in New York. It was like 35 and New York has a much bigger fucking um, uh, like city, essentially more services to manage than San Jose. So all that shit people were saying about how the cops are going to quit and all the city workers are going to quit and shit. They were full of, they were full of shit. They were just lying. There was like fucking three who had like really popular Instagrams and everybody assumed that was what was going to happen was that those Instagram people would be re representative of the world at large, but that's what didn't happen. And, uh, I have a local news hit about it after an ad, which we're not going to, of course, we're not going to play the ad. I wish I could just sign up for a service that would give me all the local news without ads because I'd pay 10 bucks a month for that. And they're certainly not getting 10 bucks in ad revenue off of us. That's for sure. Right here's our local news hit from KTVU Fox 2 on this matter. San Jose says despite warnings that 100 San Francisco, San Jose police officers would quit over the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. So far, only six city employees have decided not to get vaccinated. 
The vaccine mandate took effect last month. Now, under the new rules, employees who decide to remain unvaccinated face a week of unpaid suspension, and they have to test negative twice a week at their own time and expense. The city of San Jose says 95% of all city employees have submitted proof that they're fully vaccinated. Yep, that was all bullshit. That shit was all bullshit. The anti-vaxxers were lying. We call that we call that shit kicker inflation is what we'll call that. Just full on fucking astroturf, not even astroturf. It was just people lying. They just, they like saw a couple cops that wanted to like not do it. And they just assumed, oh, this must be widespread in police forces. Mind you, in other places, it might be different. New York and San Jose are the only two that we have numbers on or that we've done, like that I know of. There might be other cities where the number is higher, but good. I mean, I don't like the cops, but it just, all the city workers are getting the vaccine. And so that's good. Um, we're going to move on down into winners and losers. Now, this is a story, a bad story about a cop. There's a, a San Francisco cop, a police sergeant was arrested for robbing a Rite Aid in San Mateo, which is just 20 minutes down the freeway from San Francisco. If you see wires down, treat oh, them shit. all as if they're hot. A fucking ad. Energy. God damn it. Listen to the quality of this podcast. And the ad sounds good. Fuck PG&E. Here we go. San Mateo police say SFPD Sergeant Davin Cole was caught <coughs> moments after he robbed a, pen a Peninsula pharmacy looking for painkillers. It's a claim his attorney doesn't deny. Here's NBC Bay Area's Robert Honda. The San Francisco police officer will be coming here to the San Mateo County Hall of Justice in about two weeks to be charged in this alleged bizarre robbery. But his attorney says he has another stop to make first for intense rehab. The San Mateo Rite Aid store on Concord Drive, where the robbery took place, is only a few minutes from San Francisco Police Sergeant Davin Cole's home. According to San Mateo Police, officers caught the 27-year veteran Wednesday night after he robbed the pharmacy of painkillers and fled. The arrest, and the reason for it, stunned some people, such as Brenda, who knows Cole. He's a very good uh, officer. He's helped me um, a lot uh, in certain situations that I was having. But to find out uh, what happened is very shocking because he's a very nice person. Obviously, he has hidden a shameful addiction for a long time. Cole's attorney, Tony Brass, says his client looks like a lawyer painkillers in 2010 after he was bitten by a dog while training the canine unit. Oh, come on. Vicious addiction and uh, and one that, you know, caused him to to lose control. Cole posted a $57,500 bail and was released Thursday. Well, a bond for like six grand. Into intensive residential drug rehab. The San Mateo County District Attorney says the case involves public trust. So I don't care who it is, whether it's a uh, somebody with a long record or a cop with a distinguished career. If they violate the law, we're going to hold oh, I think both of those people should get a little extra. Agrees. Okay, you have an addiction, but that doesn't, you know, give you the right or to go do something bad. You're you're an officer. A violent would be the word. SFP Robbery is different than burglary, and the, there's violence involved. Leave while he deals with or the threat of violence. And his upcoming legal case, which is scheduled to begin here on November 18th. In Redwood City, Robert Honda, NBC, Bay Area News. Yeah, fuck that cop. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean he's in rehab now? What the fuck? 
like, okay, it didn't say armed robbery, but uh, robbery and burglary are different. Burglary, you just go somewhere and steal some shit. Robbery, you're threatening somebody, basically. You're like, you give me this thing or else, essentially, is robbery. It's a, probably not a perfect description of it, but that's sort of like the, the distinction as I understand it. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like they said, oh, I don't care if it's a distinguished person or a person with a long record. Well, I think like a cop, I don't know, there should be like, a cop commits a violent crime there should be some kind of enhancement on that because they're a cop right like shouldn't there be shouldn't there be an enhancement on i don't know does that make sense i think it makes sense if we were to enhance just a little bit like the oh you're a cop too well you get three months added on your sentence asshole <laughs> i think that seems like a reasonable thing to do but don't go fucking knock over a right aid there's cameras everywhere and shit like i don't know I don't know. I don't know where you're supposed to get your um. I don't know where you're supposed to get your um pain meds if you can't get them. But the whole story sounds a little weird too. Yeah, time and a half, just like over. Yeah, time and a half. Like the whole story seemed weird too because he got bitten by a dog during a police training. I don't know. I guess dog bites can be pretty fucking bad, right? Like if it got infected or if they hit like a major blood vessel or if they tore like a muscle, like uh, if it tore like the muscle in his leg or something. I guess I don't know enough about dog bites. Just seems just it all seems a little weird. So now we're going to move up to San Francisco in winners and losers. We got a sea level rising is a concern for the Embarcadero district, you know, buildings in San Francisco. One of the things we like to talk about around here. forget about the threat of rising sea levels when we deal with year after year of worsening fire seasons. But in San Francisco, that's exactly what officials are bracing for. A new report out says low-lying areas of the Embarcadero may have to be raised by as much as seven feet to prevent transit lines and some of the city's most expensive real estate from being washed out from rising waters. NBC Bay Area's Melissa Colorado looks at the price to protect the Embarcadero. This area along the Embarcadero... It's going to be expensive to just raise the whole neighborhood seven feet, I think. It's one of the key low-lying areas that Port of San Francisco officials are most worried about being washed away from rising sea levels. The good news, there's still some time to come up with a defensive strategy. The bad news, it's going to be very expensive. <laughs> God, we're just going to fucking raise everything. Over the next several decades. Oh, no. But Brad Benson, the port of San Francisco's... Sea levels are rising? Oh, yeah, we're just going to raise the ground. What now, sea level? Waterfront Resilience Director warns doing nothing would be worse. Inaction is not an option. Um, we would experience up to $30 billion in damage and disruption if we did nothing. Today, the port's waterfront resilience team released this memo, laying out a framework for the port's plan to defend downtown San Francisco. The memo warns the Embarcadero may need to be raised anywhere from two to seven feet. Like, how do you just, like, that's a huge, uh, uh, most of you who aren't from the Bay Area, that's a lot of land they were showing there, right? How do you just raise that shit seven feet? Like, how do you even do that? Yeah, there's billions. Fuck that. It's like a trillion dollars, right? To, how do you just raise the land seven feet? Like, there's buildings and shit there. What do you do? Just fucking sweep the buildings aside for a while and raise the land and then put the buildings back? I mean, like, there's no way. There's, I mean, there's, there's a way to do this, but it sounds like, it sounds like this is, this sounds crazy. Protect downtown and city neighborhoods 
from coastal flooding, which will worsen in the future. That's uh, some engineering marvel. So where is the money to build this massive infrastructure project? Benson says some funding is tied to President Biden's $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Benson says the state legislature recently allocated billions to help pay for climate change resilience projects. We build before the disaster ultimately will save money for taxpayers. In the meantime, port officials are meeting with their counterparts in other coastal cities like Boston and Seattle to learn how they're responding to the rising sea level problem. I think if if the city of San Francisco want to continue to bring in tourists and um, visitors and conventions and things like that, I think they have to do what they need to to keep the waterfront um, accessible and um, safe. For the visitors in San Francisco, Melissa, Colorado, NBC, Bay Area News. That's this dumbest thing. Like chat was saying, oh, that's going to pay for it all. When they said, oh, oh, uh, Biden's one trillion dollar infrastructure plan is going to, uh, you know, going to do it. I'm like, well, that's great. But what about the whole rest of the country? I feel like raising that much uh, of the city up like seven feet might cost a fucking trillion dollars. Like, I can't even imagine how you like, like even like the pre-contemplation phase of that must be like outrageously expensive because the people who do that kind of work aren't cheap and then the materials and then like if other cities are trying to do the same thing then whatever materials you need are going to get more expensive as there's like a shortage of them due to high demand it's going to be a fucking shit show san francisco is not going to raise the embarcadero up no seven feet you know like oh we need to keep the waterfront intact no i think what they need to i think like the the long-term plan would be to accept that you're going to have a different waterfront eventually because that's the what the fuck else i don't i don't believe this let's raise the city let's raise the embarcadero seven feet i just don't i'm not i'm not buying this like some of those buildings are tall what do you do i mean i don't know i I guess it's possible but it just seems like seems like just seems like such a fucking silly thing What ha- why don't you just accept that that part's going to be underwater and then just live with it? I don't know. Fish might like a new coral reef that used to be a skyscraper. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution is here, but I don't think that yeah, the ocean's not sending their best water. I don't think that, I don't think that's a good use of resources. It seems, I guess it's a great jobs program, right? Cause you know how many people are going to have to work on that shit? But I just don't think it's, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Can't just love Venice out of the water. Yet the rest of the world, too, like, what are they going to do with Venice? Much less Venice Beach, California is fucked, but what about Venice, Italy? Like, what are we, what are we doing? What? I, I can't even, I can't even fathom just lifting a, fucking what was it that like two percent or three percent of the city of san francisco or something just lifting that shit seven feet i don't know maybe it's just a failure of imagination on my part but it just doesn't seem like a like a viable solution to the kind of problems we're going to be facing here i don't know maybe i'm just a maybe i'm just a naysayer well speaking of san francisco real estate we've been talking about the millennium tower um it's just been tilting and um This story is going to tell us how far it could tilt before it would just get knocked over in the next earthquake. Fantastic.
finally have a better idea of just how much further San Francisco's Millennium Tower could lean before engineers say they would worry about it actually falling during an earthquake. That is an important number. So far, all the work they're doing to shore up the tower is also making it sink and lean a little more. <laughs> just tear the tower down. Wait a minute. We can get some of the material to raise the other part of San Francisco by seven feet with some of the material from this tower that we're, that they're going to have to tear down this millennium tower. Wait, it's not, I think it, yeah, I think it's in like the Bayview or something. I don't think it's in the Embarcadero. Oh man. Towers fix our investigative reporter, Jackson Vanderbecken has the takeaways. As everyone in the Bay area is aware, as we have been installing, the new piles, there has been an increase in the settlement and tilting of the building. Uh, the increase is not as dramatic as the media would have you believe. That's Ron Hamburger, the designer of the so-called fix for the Millennium Tower. So-called fix, the, the fucking news ain't having it. ...during tests on how to keep the building from tilting much more when they resume the project to anchor the foundation. We have successfully mitigated the vibration. And the, and the ground loss measure we've taken on the 36s also appear to be successful. But new data shows the tower settled another tenth of an inch in just the last week. When oh, crews shit. started drilling and inserting more of the 100-foot-long steel casings into the ground, that caused another quarter of an inch of tilt, which matches the pace that triggered a halt to the construction job back in August. But Hamburger said... This thing's just going to fall down. Tilt a little oh, my God. Six feet to the west. We've concluded that the building is still able to safely resist this maximum considered earthquake shaking with that amount of tilting. Which means, essentially, before they would worry about it falling down in a quake. But the elevators and plumbing to continue operating properly, the margin is much tighter, about a half of that. Right now, the tower is tilting 23 inches to the west and nine and a half inches to the north. Tear it down. <laughs> one foot of combined tilt before the fixed designer says the building could stop operating properly. Engineers are scaling back the number of piles they now plan to install to bedrock to reduce the risk of causing the Millennium's foundation to sink much further. Jackson Vanderbecken, NBC, Bay Area News. Yo, I've been saying this for a while. Just tear the fucking thing down. You built the building wrong, all right? That's a weird one. We don't really hear about a lot of people like this is a modern building too, right? We hear about like old, um, old, old buildings not being uh, properly retrofitted for an earthquake, but we don't hear um, much about buildings just being completely built incorrectly. <laughs> this one, I don't know if you were here last week, but the problem with the building is they didn't drill into the bedrock and put the then like attach the foundation to it. They're like, ah, oh, we're just going to stick this on top of some mud. And that's how that building was built because it was cheaper. Well, now it's not cheaper because you're going to have to build tear your whole building down. Assuming the shit doesn't just fall down. And next week we're talking about the fucking disaster in San Francisco as this fucking giant building falls and knocks down like seven other buildings and kills, you know, thousands of people or whatever. <sighs> All right, this next story, we're going to move down to San Jose, right next to the city next to the city I live in. And uh, just a little update on the Theranos trial. <clears throat> it's going to be some information uh, from the trial about how Theranos got its funding. And I know how they got their funding. Grifting. They were fucking grifting. That's how they got their funding. Elizabeth Holmes was just trying so hard to convince everyone that she was Steve Jobs. And it 
worked. She had like Henry Kissinger on her board of directors. So that's how she got funding. She got a bunch of powerful people to believe in her weird fucking fake blood test machine. And here's a local news hit on uh, the latest from the trial. Okay, now to the Theranos trial. We are getting a closer look into how founder Elizabeth Holmes took a scrappy startup and turned it into a $9 billion company in the biotech industry. Let's take you out to our business and tech reporter, Scott Budman, who joins us live. Scott spent the day in court. He joins us now. Scott. Well, good evening, Jessica. Today, indeed, the trial mixed the business and the tech. The jury hearing testimony today about how Elizabeth Holmes allegedly convinced high-dollar investors to part with hundreds of millions of dollars. The trial of Elizabeth Holmes went full financial today. On the stand, Dan Mosley, who represents high-dollar investors like the Walton family, founders of Walmart, who put $150 million into therapy. I don't know if she stole money from the Walmart people. I'm, for $100 million, Even former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger both an investor and board member for Theranos. She should have took them for more than three mil. Not one guy. of them looked closely at where their money was going. There really has been such an absence of due diligence throughout this entire process. What they all have in common, according to Mosley's testimony, Holmes convinced all of them the Theranos machines worked and that the company would eventually make money. Court watchers say today's testimony meant to help prosecutors could actually boost the defense. The defense is gaining ground because they're showing that, you know, anyone, because they're showing that, you know, anybody who's going to invest hundreds of millions of dollars into a startup, especially a scientific startup, needs to be convinced that the technology works. Prosecutors also told the defense that on a couple of different occasions, Theranos released memos with its logo alongside the logos of pharmaceutical giants Pfizer and Shearing Plow. The prosecution brought witnesses to the stand to testify that neither of those companies authorized Theranos to use its logos. Live in San Jose, Scott Budman, NBC, Bay Area News. All right, thank you for... That's just kind of what's going on. Yeah, chat was saying you're right. Uh, she fucked with too many powerful people, right? For there to be any other outcome than she's screwed. Although, if they can, I don't know, because it's like a new med- new medical device, right? If they, could, if they can convince people that she believed it worked and that the people at the top of that fucking company believed it worked, and maybe it's just like, this is the time that you, you know how when you invest, there's supposed to be risk. But then, like, people get mad when their risk, when the chickens come home to roost from their risk. Maybe this will be one of those times. And I don't know if she took, if she fucking scammed $150 million out of the Walmart family. Is, I don't know. Is that such a bad thing? It's not good to scam people, but I mean, if you're going to scam money out of somebody, why not the Walmart family? I just wish she would have taken Kissinger for more money, honestly, because that guy's, that guy's got a way bigger body count than the Walmart family. So our next story is uh, there's a mission, uh, Mission San Jose. It's actually in Fremont, the city I grew up in, and it was uh, vandalized, and it seems to be a bit of an activism vandalism of sorts. We'll take a look. A stunning sight in the East Bay, graffiti littering the walls of the mission in Fremont. Today, visitors simply shocked at what they saw. Here's NBC Bay Area's Christy Smith. At 
Mission San Jose in Fremont, there's still a lot of work to be done after vandals struck in the middle of the night. Around 3 a.m. on Friday, we got vandalized by a group of people. That they came in and they, did, they left the graffiti on this building and also they put a, they throw a bright red paints all over the Junior Paracera statue and also left the banner, big banner, uh, in front of the church. Paint was cleaned up on the statue, but graffiti reading Land Back, Ohlone Land, or Colonizer remain. Christine Gates is the business manager of the museum and gift shop. She says it's upsetting and revealed why some of the graffiti hasn't been painted over yet. It's very sad and upsetting. Damage is pretty big because it's an adobe building, so it's not easy to clean up. So we have to get a professional who can work with the materials that are very specific to adobe. The history of California's missions, Junipero Serra, and the treatment of indigenous people have come under intense scrutiny and criticism recently. Today, visitors weighed in on what they saw. If you want to express your feeling, just do something more positive. I definitely think it's a shame. I definitely think it's too bad that this property was vandalized. Um, and I would say that it's not very clear, I guess, um, not clear in what they want, what kind of changes they want, um, whoever did it. It's not the first time there's been graffiti here. There are security cameras and police are investigating. In Fremont, Christy Smith, NBC Bay Area News. What do you mean it's not clear what they want? This is they that it said that like genocide is not a spectacle. They want you to fucking I mean to stop having a gift shop and shit and acting like this is a tourist attraction, clearly. And they don't you know, you can't really express that very well in graffiti. And then when you do graffiti, that's illegal, so you can't really put out a press release about your graffiti to explain your point of view. But yeah, I mean to me it's pretty clear. The fact that you know, chat was like, Oh, are they interviewing the manager of the hotel of the of the gift shop? And that could be the problem, is that there's a manager of a gift shop inside of a place like this. Yeah, land back is also pretty explicit, right? They want to restore some of the land around here and probably other places to the Ohlone tribe. Um, yeah, this is, this. It's oh, it's unclear what they want. Shut up. Shut up. Stop pretending you don't know what they want. You just can't, they just can't write a paper in, in fucking spray paint on a building to like explain it in a, I don't know, a certain way or whatever, you know? So, <laughs> here's the last story in Winners and Losers. Assuming this plays, this is the KTV Fox 2 News website, so anything could actually happen here. Um, so there was a person who was wanted in the uh, January 6th insurrection, I believe from Mill Valley, which is just north of uh, San Francisco, and which is north of San Francisco, and he escaped to Belarus is the time right now. The FBI leading the search for a Mill Valley man who's accused of taking part in the attack on the U.S. Capitol in January. Now, take a look. 48-year-old Evan Newman faces six felony counts, including assaulting police officers. Investigators say he was caught on camera inside the U.S. Capitol building wearing a gas mask while punching and violently pushing police officers. Federal agents are still trying to track him down six months after that Capitol Hill riot. Our time. All right, so the, the it's yeah he's seeking asylum in in Belarus. The so the story the news the news hit didn't say that, but that's where that guy went. I think he's in Ukraine right now, and he's trying to get asylum in the the nation of Belarus. You know where like Tucker Carlson and all those people have been going to broadcast from. 
like there's there's like a big like far right movement in Belarus, and uh, that guy thinks that they're gonna let him in. And I don't I don't know if they are or they aren't. I'm curious to find out because it seems like they're fuck they're a little bit off the leash right now. You know, they're uh, certainly not behaving themselves as a as a society. Definitely a lot of far right stuff going on in Belarus. I don't know if they take him, they take him. Fuck it, get him out of here. Let him live in Belarus. I don't give a shit. All right, so at the end of Winners and Losers, we always like to pick a city around here that needs to get their shit together. And this week it is Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's Pittsburgh, California. That's just north of Oakland. And they need to get their shit together. And this is uh, mostly some school kid actually just needs to get their shit together. It's not like the whole city. It seems like the whole city is an all right place. But there's a school kid. He decided to wear a KKK a costume to Halloween, I guess. And uh, other students are like upset about that, you know, for whatever reason. Can't really figure it out. Kids these days are just so sensitive. Well, it's been a very emotional day here at Pittsburgh High School. There were protests both inside and outside the school, all saying the punishment does not fit the crime. The anger has not let up. Today, a large group of students at Pittsburgh High School put that frustration out in the open, upset that a fellow student who was suspended for wearing a KKK costume last Wednesday has not been expelled. I feel like he should be expelled. He shouldn't be allowed to come back to school because the outrage behind this costume is very racist. It's highly disrespectful to all students of, or people of color, point blank, period. And white anti-racist. Today, for that students matter. demonstrated both outside and inside the school, blasting the district for not taking the incident more seriously. In a letter to the community last week, the Pittsburgh High principal said the student wore the KKK costume on a dare and didn't get caught for four periods. Oh my God, didn't get between classes. The letter goes on to say the suspended student and those that showed up with him on a social media post have been given unspecified consequences and will have to attend a restorative justice program. Many fellow students are not satisfied. We need more justice and he did not. He needs more consequences. Do you think the protest helped? Yes. Well, kind of. I just can't believe that someone actually will wear that. And yeah, they cut her off, which she's like, well, not really. And it's the fact that so a few black kids were actually taking pictures with them. That's really unacceptable right there. Parents and <laughs> Damn, the kids are going to be all right. Who are picking up their children today tell us they feel the same way. People accept this kind of thing and say it was a joke. There's, there's no way you can joke like that. It's like pointing a, you know, a loaded gun in your someone's face. Some students told us that the student who wore the KKK costume and was suspended for three days has now been told to stay away for five days. We called the school district to try to update that situation, but we have not heard back. In Pittsburgh, Robert Honda, NBC Bay Area News. Okay, yikes. Don't do that. Um, I, most people here aren't from the Bay Area. Pittsburgh is uh, near Oakland. It's a lot of, a lot of black and brown people there. And, uh, I don't know how you get away with that for four class periods. What, what do you mean? Like, teachers are like, oh, I got, you know, how does that KKK costume? Oh, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved in this. What the fuck? Man, I, I can't, like, what, like, what would, I guess it was a dare, but then, like, fuck, I guess fuck his friends or the people that dared him to do it, too. But in the end, like, it's his fault that he wore the fucking thing, right? I don't care that it was on a dare. Oh, I dare you to wear a KKK outfit. I'm like, what do you mean, dare? Are you recruiting me? Because it just sounds like a fucking weird way to recruit somebody into the clan. doesn't really sound like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you did this? No, you're trying to recruit the kid. 
Um, <clears throat> maybe he thought it was a ghost. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't. You know what a ghost doesn't have is a pointy hat generally. That's the difference, right? On Halloween, if somebody's dressed as the clan, they got the hat. If somebody's dressed as a ghost, they don't got the they don't got the pointy hat. It's pretty actually pretty pretty easy to tell, right? Like only one could be mistaken as uh, to be a garden gnome from 500 feet away. <laughs> it's not the ghost. Fuck, get your shit together. I can't believe this fucking like how what do they mean? I'm still like hung up on that like four class periods. Like, were people just didn't believe it? Did he claim it was a ghost? Like somebody in chat was saying, like, what, what on earth? Like, how does that happen? I didn't notice that right away when I was in high school and it was a long time ago. All right. It's time for down ballot and recall watch. There's a recall uh, against district attorney Chesa Boudin in San Francisco. Uh, the district attorney's office just released crime statistics. And um, people who don't like him, as you, as you might imagine, are skeptical of his crime statistics. These are challenging times for San Francisco's district attorney. Today, his office unveiled this. It's a new dashboard on its website that allows the public to see how often the DA files criminal charges after police officers make an arrest. Chesa Boudin says this new feature is proof of his commitment to transparency. But the announcement comes in the midst of a recall effort to have him removed from office. The DA is also facing tough accusations from lawmakers and even his own former prosecutors who say his office often lessens charges for violent crimes and sometimes fails to prosecute them altogether. Was it going to be the same people we saw last week? Our senior investigative reporter, Bagat Shaban, who's been breaking news about these allegations over the last few weeks. He joins us now in our San Francisco newsroom. Bagat, let's start with this new data that's being released from Chase Boudin. What does it show? Well, Raj, for starters, it shows what the DA himself has been touting for a while now, which is that his overall prosecution rate pretty much mirrors those of previous district attorneys going back at least a decade. So that means that out of all the arrests made by the city's police department, the DA's office files charges about 56% of the time. But if you drill down to specific types of crimes, that same data shows where Boudin's charging rate actually differs from past DAs. For example, with lower level crimes like disturbing the peace or disorderly conduct, Boudin's office only files new charges about 10% of the time. Raj, the rate was more than double that the year but before. That's good. Uh, Bagat, is this more of a PR move? What are the critics saying now about uh, this release and this move today? Very biased coverage. Well, frankly, some don't feel this new section of the DA's website, Raj, actually solves what they feel has been a real lack of transparency from the office regarding how often prosecutors strike plea deals with violent offenders to essentially give them lesser charges. So here's why. Wait, they just do the that. The dashboard shows how often charges are filed, but it doesn't specify what charges are filed or whether a plea deal reduced the original charges. All of those factors can make a huge difference in cases. For example, just last week, we reported on a man who was initially charged with assault with a deadly weapon and child endangerment. But the DA's office ultimately cut a deal allowing him to plead to just a misdemeanor for vandalism. Now, this was someone who was accused of domestic violence. So did the DA's office file charges in that case? Yes. 
but those charges aren't what actually stuck. And so some argue, Raj, the outcome didn't ultimately fit the severity of the crime. And, Bagad, you know this. He's been talking about Chase Abedin saying he wants to reform the police, the way we police, the way we govern here, and that's what he was elected to do. What else is he going to be uh, required to release? I know you, this was part of your previous reporting. Well, yeah, Raj, actually on Tuesday, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors is expected to vote on a proposed ordinance that would essentially force the DA's office, as well as the police department, to issue these quarterly reports about how often domestic violence offenders are actually arrested and prosecuted. In addition, the DA's office would also be required to know exactly what kinds of sentences are being handed down. And if approved, Raj, those new reporting requirements would start in the new year. Okay, and really quick, I know it's been a few months. You've continued to ask Chase Boudin to sit down for an interview. Any updates on that? No, we are still waiting. Obviously, it's an open invitation for the district attorney to come and speak with us about so many issues that are pressing the city right now, and we're going to keep asking. And, and we, whenever he's welcome to it, we are here. And we will make time for him. Bagad Shaban reporting from our San Francisco newsroom. Thanks, Bagad. So <clears throat> at the beginning, they were saying how, like, the like the, the overall like charge rate or whatever has stayed about the same, but they're charging less in kind of lower, lower grade crimes, like disturbing the peace or jaywalking or some shit. Right. And so you, you'd have to make that up somewhere. And then at the, at the end, they like towards the end or in the middle, they were talking about these individual cases where they, you know, they, they were framing them as though like the outcome was somebody who was violent, got let off uh, easy. And it seems like, both of those things can't simultaneously. Well, the one instance can can be true at the same time as as the the broader thing I was talking about. But it can't be that <clears throat> they're not not charging the violent crime. And the thing about the plea deals that's always happened, always, always, always. It has always happened. It has never not happened. It has always happened. Sometimes the prosecution has a weak case and doesn't want to say so. And then they'll just take a deal for something. Um, sometimes the the deal or whatever might be appropriate. This didn't not happen under the last DA, and um, <clears throat> you know the prosecutors who were I think we watched them last week talking about Chesa Boudin. They it's not like they weren't doing that all the time. They were doing that all the time too. This is like most people don't go to trial. Most people plead out for a lower set lower to a, a lesser crime to get a lesser sentence. It's just what they do. It's how it always is. And so there's no story here. Uh, Chester Boudin's being recalled. I hope the uh, city of San Francisco uh, comes out and votes no on the recall. He basically just got there. So uh, I think that if he wants to do some restorative justice and maybe make some reform, because I know we keep, we're not going to get rid of the cops anytime soon. If he wants to make some positive reform, I say give him a chance. Let him try at least. Um, but who knows? He might, get, uh, he might get ousted and we may have a new... Um, we may have a new uh, district attorney in San Francisco uh, next year. Who knows? So we got uh, another story here in the down ballot watch section. We got a, well, we watched um, some Zoom meetings that were Zoom bombed or whatever by a bunch of uh, anti-vaxxers. And I got a story about a, a Zoom bombing, I guess, here. But it's like, it's like a little more fun, I guess. I don't know. Well, no, it's not fun. I guess they were using like slurs and there was nudity and shit, but at least it's not anti-vaxxers. <laughs> oh man, I gotta wait for this ad to go. And this is so slow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like 
password. I don't know for like a public zoom meeting. I don't know how you prevent this actually. Right. Cause you have to let everyone in. And so like, how do you prevent people from doing zoom bombing or whatever the fuck it's called? Anyway, here's a story from the local news. San Francisco Unified School District will present a plan to cut more than $100 million from its billion-dollar budget. And if that plan doesn't work, the school district faces a possible takeover by the state. KTVU's James Torres joining us from the San Francisco School District's main office to tell us what the superintendent is expected to propose. Good morning, James. Good morning, Dave. Yeah, it's a tough deadline now approaching for San Francisco Unified. All of these details need to be spelled out and approved by next month. If their plan isn't approved by the California Department of Education, then a state takeover is very much likely. Now, tonight, Superintendent Vincent Matthews will spell out exactly how they hope to spend $125 million less for the next year's school budget. He suggests cutting school site budgets by about $50 million, which could result in losing more than 300 jobs. $40 million in cuts would come to central services, which could lead to about 55 central jobs lost. The district also predicts it will receive an additional $35 million in new state grants, though it didn't go into too many specifics in their proposal. Cuts could come in the form of fewer counselors, literacy coaches, nurses, uh, reducing class sizes in middle schools as well. San Francisco Unified... Never cutting the sports teams, though. ...overspending, especially after years of enrollment decline from the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, the district saw a 3,500 student decline in enrollment over the past two years, costing them about $35 million. Budget, enrollment numbers, those have been one of many reasons sparking a call to recall three school board members. A special election for that vote will now happen in February. San Francisco Unified will the story isn't even about what the headline said it's about. Plan backed up and approved by the Come state. On, get your shit together, local to news. Hopefully avoid a full state takeover. We're live this morning near the San Francisco Unified School District headquarters. I'm James Torres, KTVU, Fox 2 News. Well, that wasn't what the story was about. They didn't even tell us about the Zoom meeting. They can't even, like, put the right video on the right fucking webpage. Good job, KTVU. <clears throat> so that's the end of Down Ballot Watch. We got one more story, as we always do. We went through this a little bit quickly, because it's just me. Uh, usually the councilman has a bit more to say than I do about this stuff, because he is uh, definitely into local news and local politics in a way that I'm not. But we do have and another thing. Um, this is just cute. It's kids doing a nice thing after an ad <laughs> man i gotta i gotta find a way to pay it i gotta find, figure out how to get rid of these ads on uh for down ballot because it's annoying if i had more time i'd just download the videos and we'd run them uh like off of a player but i don't have time anyway this is uh kids are basically uh they're trying to help uh, monarch butterflies it's adorable while the effects of climate change can feel so overwhelming at times that it's easy to feel like a small group of people really can't do much about it. Well, what about a group of smaller people? Our Garvin Thomas found just such a group in San Jose and is here with their story. We're talking about elementary school students. And Monarch Butterflies. Do you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this story was uh, something that happened on the anchor desk sitting next to you not long ago. There was a story about Monarch Butterfly populations. Once in the millions in California, a 2020 survey could only find a couple thousand. I was stunned it was so low. Well, turns out I wasn't the only one. And this story is about some young people who are trying to reverse that trend. 
In the second grade classrooms at San Jose's Steindorf Steam Magnet School. So what are we going to write on the equation? Teachers like Kate Moody spend plenty of time working with students on their numbers and letters. But it's three letters in particular that get extra attention around here. P-B-L. Numbers and letters. But it's three letters in particular that get extra attention around here. P-B-L. And try and find solutions to? Right over here. Well, for the past five years, the project second graders at Steindorf have been working to solve is the case of the vanishing monarch butterfly. There's a chrysalis right over here. Laura Howard and Miles Heitzman are part of this year's effort. All over campus for the past few years, students have been planting milkweed, a plant critical to the monarch's survival, but one that's been disappearing due to the use of weed killers, as well as climate change. So we need to plant more milkweed so, so they, they don't go extinct. And this year alone, the monarch population of California, thanks to Steindorf second graders, was increased by at least a few dozen. This is really the first year we have seen them fluttering around campus. And the kids have been so excited. It's amazing to just hatch more butterflies. It's just great. And it's very, like, I'm very happy. And while numbers like this are clearly not enough to single-handedly change the monarch's future, the confidence these students are gaining from the experience might just one day benefit everyone's future. And that's what PBL is all about. I mean, is, is giving kids the power to change things in the community. Yeah, the numbers are pretty dire when it comes to the monarch butterflies. By some estimates, the population down more than 90 percent, and they are not on the endangered species list. And it's kind of a double-edged coin. They were in trouble, but the, the people who make the decision said there were more species that were in more trouble that needed to go on the list before the monarch butterflies. What That's impressive great, to see what those kids are doing, I know, what a right? great project. I'm going to plant some milkweed in my backyard and see Same what here. happens. Same here. Thanks, Gar. All right, so that was down ballot. Uh, thanks, everybody, for hanging out. I know everybody here isn't local, so I appreciate you hanging out here on Locals Evening. Uh, we'll be doing local love in a little bit here. Um, might start a little early. Depends what time Chip arrives. Um, anyway, uh, if you listen to the podcast version of the show, follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia, and uh, make sure to share it with a friend or whatever. Um, shout out to the councilman. I think he's on vacation this week. Pretty cool. I could use a vacation. Um, yeah, if you like this podcast, you can support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Echoplex. This song is Locals it's by Audible Smoke Signal. And uh, I'll be back in a few minutes either to just kind of chit chat until we start local love, or maybe if Chip gets here, we'll start local love a little early. But I need to pour a drink, turn the lights red, that kind of stuff. Be right back. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are 
Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's how I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing green Sit at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where all those guys who standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene Just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing and you know it's time to head in Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and Enjoy the band, enjoy that band Last up on the bill for the show tonight It's down and dirty in five, so we're headed outside To spark up another joint, now who's got my light? A stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is, is that I don't think logically Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey Now inside, motherfuckers is rocking me and outside, shit, we smoke a lot of broccoli. Rocky the Rolly, all the sexy girl be jockin' me. Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppin'. We do what we want, what we wanna do, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Dance with the band and enjoy the band. We do what we want, what we wanna do, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Thank you, Bob. We do. Yes, I 